about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology, as well as all things spiritual and personal development. We are finally back with a new interview. I had a conversation with astrologer and friend Catherine Urban about family astrology, which ranged from discussing the fourth house, the moon, inherited or repeated natal chart signatures in families, and more. Many astrologers, practicers, students of astrology will have the experience of feeling that the practice, the study of astrology helps us develop more compassion and understanding for the people in our lives. Not just ourselves, though, that too. You get a chance to see someone from the perspective of the moment in the cosmos they are a living emanation of, and it helps us contemplate the complexities of others and ourselves and how we relate to each other. Catherine Urban is the author of Your Astrological Cookbook, The Perfect Recipe for Every Sign. Catherine is a mama, mage, and consulting astrologer, specializing in natal, predictive, and horary techniques. As a writer, Catherine writes a weekly astrological forecast for her website and contributes quarterly to NCGR's member letter. Passionate about sharing this practice with others, she also teaches astrology year-round. You can study the art of astrological forecasting with Catherine in her course, Timing with Transits, an 11-week mentorship designed to enhance the astrologer's toolkit with a solid understanding of various timing techniques, including transits, perfections, and eclipses, beginning September 8th. Connect with Catherine on all platforms at AstroCatherine or visit www.catherineurban.com. So September 8th is coming up. Make sure you check that out. Catherine has a really warm, compassionate, and humanistic energy that she brings to her astrology. And I feel that's truly invaluable when it comes to having a personal connection to astrology, to be guided by someone who is so inviting, um, is really just such a great opportunity. And one announcement before we begin, my upcoming Evolutionary Astrology Intensive is currently open for enrollment. We will be beginning November 2021. It'll be the ninth run of this program. It's a comprehensive entry or deepening into the world of soul-based Plutonic astrology. As I get to see students respond to this material, I'm reminded every time about how evolutionary astrology is truly a wisdom tradition. I've had the pleasure of developing as a human alongside this material since I was 21, and it's one of my biggest joys in life to share it and invite others into it. This course consists of pre-recorded content that you can continue returning to indefinitely and weekly live sessions to discuss as a group, get to know each other. And then we have five culminating workshop classes where we read our own charts. 
You can learn more about the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive via the link in the notes. There's also a link for a scholarship application. You can read the testimonials on the course page. Reach out over email, sabrina at monarchastrology. If you have personal questions about the course that aren't answered on the course page, and we can discuss if the class is right for you. And I will leave us now to this conversation about family astrology, the moon, and more with Catherine Urban. Welcome to Magic of the Spheres, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me, Sabrina. It's an honor to be here. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about the moon and family astrology ancestry. So before we begin, can you tell us about your practice, um, how you got into astrology and what your focus is currently? Yeah. So astrology, it feels like has always kind of been there um, from a young age, as young as I can remember, um, just like in middle school, being interested and feeling very validated by some of the books I would find in the occult section of the bookstores. Um, and yeah, astrology has just been one of those things that has just continued to grow with me. Um, especially once I moved to New York around the age of 19, I started to connect with other astrologers who like lived and breathed astrology. And I soon became aware that this was a path available to me and I just dove in. I wanted all of it. And it hasn't stopped since. So leading up to, to my present practice, I primarily do client consultations. I teach astrology. And more recently, I um, have become more aligned with the practice of horary. So I took the STA course last year. And so my practice continues to grow. I'm not necessarily the kind of astrologer who has a niche. I just love it all. And can't get enough of it. So always learning and always, um, always expanding my understanding of how we live in conjunction with this, with this mechanism. So you were into it early on and got to experience like a lot of formative events with the lens of astrology, like going through Saturn return, becoming a mother, Like, how has that been like living alongside astrology and just seeing it at play in your life? I can't imagine it any differently. I think it's astrology is such a helpful and supportive and illuminating tool that helps us to comprehend and make sense of the shifts that are happening and also to embrace many of them as initiations. Like we know that the Saturn return is an initiation as is the Jupiter return or even a Mars return or any other Pluto transit or Neptune. And so all of these can be seen as initiations where we are at the altar of being able to um, develop and expand the expression of certain archetypes in our chart. And so, yeah, it's been a huge help. And that's why I love sharing it with other people because it helps people contextualize and understand where the change is coming from and what kind of change it is. I love that. So how did you get into like family astrology and what is that exactly family astrology? So early on, I think a lot of people may have a similar experience, but when you start getting into 
astrology and you start looking at your chart and you have like a good understanding of your chart. And then maybe you look at your crush's chart or your partner's chart. And then once you have that figured out, then you want to start looking at the charts of people who you're really close with. So you might look at your best friends, you might look at your families. And me being a Cancer rising and a fourth house stellium, I'm family is a pretty big deal in my life. Um, and so yeah, I of course started to look at the charts of my family members and started to notice a, a correspondence between similar aspects, similar sign signatures, um, especially with like the moon and the rising sign starting to appear over and over again. And I just kind of wondered, you know, what is this about? And is this unique to my experience? Do other people experience this? And so a lot of my journey has been trying to wrap my head around that and understand it better just because I feel like there isn't a whole lot of material out there on family astrology. There is a really good book I can recommend. It's called The Astrology of Family Dynamics by Aaron Sullivan. So I read that book a number of years ago. And it's a really good book if anyone is interested um, in this topic. But yeah, family astrology to me is basically being able to understand the context of your life and who you are and how that was maybe um, related to or informed by the people who you grew up with. And, and there's a way to think about this in a biological sense, but also an environmental sense. So thinking about our chart as a blueprint, thinking about our chart as the moment that we took our first breath and the very imprint of our, of, of the cosmos, but also reflected here on earth as our immediate environment. And so how, how does that look like? And so, yeah, for me, family dynamics and studying family astrology really helps me to understand the immediate environment that was very formative, but also how we kind of fit into the family unit. So for the fourth house and for anyone who I think a lot of listeners know about the fourth house, but um, it's like the very bottom of the chart, I guess, in some house systems, the IC marks the beginning of the fourth house, if it's a quadrant based house system. Um, But how do you like define the fourth house and how, how do you feel it in your own life being the fourth house stellium? person. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So the fourth house for me, of course, it represents, um, some pretty foundational, um, topics in our life. It's, it's our home. It's where we are rooted. It can be our physical dwelling. It can also be our family of origin. So the fourth house really has a lot to do with our roots and where we're receiving nourishment from. So the fourth house, um, another cool, another really cool analogy I have for the fourth house is Sabrina, I know you're a dreamer. Yeah. And you know, you know how like we dream of like houses and things like that. Like yeah, we're in a house. I dream of houses all the time. 
Me too. Yeah. And so um, I, I find that houses, like the house that we see in our dream is very often a reflection of like our inner foundation, what's going on in our inner world at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, the house, the fourth house um, very often is going to reflect like your inner foundation, like where your soul is seated um, in the body. And That's so interesting, like the bringing in the dream energy, because I feel like the fourth house, even though part of it can feel so basic or fundamental, um, as in it's our roots, that the roots go so deep that there's like an unconsciousness or a mystery or like a um, ancestral history behind it. And so we come into this life and we have these maybe emotional conflicts or just things that we're working through. And we think at some point that it's us. And then the deeper we get into it, the more it's like carried from our family line or carried from, you know, even just like a species level or carried from something deeper, like that can always go more and more below. So I think the fourth house has that interesting, like mysterious quality to it. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a hidden house. It's considered a more hidden house because it's the lowest. It's the lowest. And it's the point where, you know, the sun, it's basically like the midnight point of the chart. It's where there is um yeah, there is a hidden nature to the fourth house. And I love what you just brought in, Sabrina, about um the hidden nature of it and the things that are kind of unseen. Cause I just had a thought as you were talking about that, about even how like growing up, a lot of our parents, like we don't know the full extent of their past. We don't even know like everything that they went through in their lives up until, up until we were born. And I've had this interesting experience with my own mother where I find like more and more layers of the truth. Like she'll tell me a little bit. And then as I've gotten older, I get more and more of the story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's like that part is hidden, but like you still psychically might pick up on some of the things that um, were very formative for your parents, but you don't really know a whole lot about where that really comes from. Um, and so, yeah, there is like this very psychic, unconscious element to the fourth house. Because just thinking too about the stories of our ancestors that have been lost, like the specifics of them may have been lost in the sands of time, but the essence still remains. The essence still gets passed down and lived through, lived on through us. That's beautiful. I just got chills when you said that. Um, it's so interesting. Like sometimes I'll be going through something like a very specific, maybe initiatory experience. And I talk to my mom on the phone and I don't even bring up the particular thing in the conversation. And then she starts talking about it. And I'm like, did that just go up the line or something? Like we're experiencing similar growth at the same time. And I remember when I was um, younger, I had... And so I think like just starting to individuate from my family. So like that Saturn closing square around 21, um, 
you know, maybe starting earlier in my late teens, like during that phase, I would get all these insights about my family and how I was different from them. And I would like try to show my parents a new way or something like that. And it didn't go over very well most of the time. And, um, at some point I just stopped trying to like change my family and realized that if I like just went forward and lived my own life, that it tended to ripple back more than if I just tried to like alter by family line or something. Do you like come up across this when it comes to like fourth house themes or ancestry and the kind of like ancestral healing? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that experience too, because I experienced something similar also. I think there's just like different um, initiations into adulthood. And then, so on one hand, it could be about relating to your parents as parents versus relating to them as human beings. And I think that that's another helpful way that we can use familial astrology is to understand our parents as people and in and understanding the sinistry dynamics between our charts. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, I think like, studying the inner relationship between charts within a family dynamic, like you'll start to see patterns and you'll either fit into that pattern or you'll be different. And it might be very striking in in that regard, or it could be just like, you're a little bit different in your own way. And these are the things that you maybe keep separate from the family unit. And when you're interacting with the family unit, there's a certain energy. um, There's a certain personality to the family unit as well. Do you have any, um, examples of like sinistry showing up in family and kind of like how that shows up in terms of the family dynamic and how it's charted? Yeah. So a really, well, the one that immediately comes to mind is twins. That's like a really big one that a lot of people, um, will ask astrologers about. And yeah, And this can be, this is an interesting one, I think, to consider because, um, well, I'll tell you why in a second. But so looking at the charts of twins, very often the twins are, you know, they're going, they're usually going to have pretty much the same chart. There's cases where that's not the case, but um, thinking about twins born within a few minutes of one another, usually one, there's going to be this well, between both of them, there's like a striving to individuate and to do things differently. And so the twins may take turns embodying charts a certain way. Like I knew two twins. Um, I used to do their family's hair and the one was would like be getting into trouble and then the other one would be on the best behavior. And then when this one wasn't getting into trouble, the other twin would be getting into trouble. So they would like kind of take turns And that was one way that helped me really understand my father really well. Because my dad and I, we actually have the same moon degree. It's like within two degrees, we both have a Scorpio moon. And I, for the longest time, thought that my dad and I were completely different. We had nothing in common. And then when I started looking at our charts, I realized that he was the parent that I actually had the most common with like looking at our charts. And I just, it took me forever to try to figure out why, why doesn't he act the same way as me, like with the moon. And I think that I, I, 
eventually later came to realize that I was doing a lot of his processing. Like I was acting a lot of it out. Um, because the Scorpio moon, as we know, it, it tends to hold a lot of the emotions. And so I thought that that was really interesting that you could inherit a moon like to the degree from a parent. And we see that all the time in other charts. Like we see parent child emanating the same exact ascendant, similar moon and sun placements. Like usually you'll see the big three being repeated within a family. Um, yeah, you'll see that all the time. And that's actually for a couple different reasons. One is that the ascendant, it's going to describe like your physical body for one. So it's kind of not a surprise that you would, that, that similarity physically would be reflected through the ascendant. So we see that a lot. That's really, really common. The ascendant also is going to tell us a lot about our outlook on life and our attitude towards life and some of our primary objectives in life. Um, so that outlook may or may not have been largely influenced and molded and um, maybe more suggestive is, is a really great word, like demonstrated by one of your parental figures. So that's another reason why we're it's it's very common to see the ascendant repeated. The moon is another one. We're going to see that one repeated a lot. It, your moon could be inherited from your parents' moon. It could be um, inherited from their son. My sister inherited my stepmom's moon, which I thought was really interesting. So it could be any caregiver, like if you had a nanny who was taking care of you or grandma or your aunt, um, the moon could have been inherited from that caregiver's style of, of showing support emotionally and affection. So you look at the moon in a much broader way than just like mother figure. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So how do you contextualize the moon in terms of the environment or like care. Yeah. I love what you just said. Environment and care. It's that's a really um, great way of broadening the context of the moon because the moon is our first language. The moon is our psychic, our felt language. And this is something I really got to observe as I recently became a mother and how sensitive that space is when you have a newborn infant and how every little thing and you know you're if if you're the one who just gave birth you're very sensitive as well and just very aware of all the little like sounds and the music like I was so careful about the music I played and the language I used around my child and yeah, I think just like the moon is really going to encapsulate the way that we take in our world. And it, and it still does as adults, the moon really has a lot to do with how we connect with other people. It's our point of intimacy. And I think so much of that is shaped by our early environment, thinking about the moon as um, like a sponge. Like I think the moon likes to absorb and take in on like a psychic emotional level and so if we think about where we learned how to do that, we can think about what our early childhood was like, and especially in infancy. And so how did mom and 
how did your, well, not even mom and dad, how did your parents or how did your caretakers talk? Um, you know, what were the rituals? What were some of the cues? What were some of the signals? Cause I notice that even when I'm like telling my husband kind of in, I have like a tone that I use. I'm like, all right, I got to go upstairs and work. Like my daughter knows, and she's known even before she had language, like she's starting to understand language now, but she could tell by the inflections in my voice, mom's leaving. Wow. Yeah. So thinking about how intelligent, how emotionally intelligent children are. Um, I really think that the moon sign is going to tell us a lot about our early environment and how that shaped us to be able to ask for the things that we need or to feel like the things that we need are readily available to us. Like, I think that our early environment um, is, is one of the things that really shapes our moon. Yeah, that really moved me just now. Like I, it just kind of sent me into this moment of thinking about reality from a much more vibrational space where you're feeling the um, emotional energetics and it's less about the specific language that people are saying. Um, it just felt very dreamy and very um, pre-verbal. And I feel like the moon does have that like pre-verbal quality to it. For sure. Yeah. And it's like, you can think about, you know, some of the things and, and this brings in another really important layer too, is like compassion. Um, I know that a lot of our process as, as young adults is, is being able to, for like, first we, many of us idolize our parents and then we're differentiating and there's a side that's like critiquing them. And then, you know, I certainly went through this too, where I was blaming my parents for a lot of my issues and sure I could totally do that. Um, but also I think looking at, um, their, our moon and also looking at their, looking at their moon too, what was the kind of care that was passed down to them and that can help inform us and contextualize and understand, um, the ways in which they were able to give to us in the way that we needed and the ways in which they didn't. Um, and I just think about maybe like a child being born into a house with many other siblings that are older and making a big mess. Like that baby is going to be like chilling. Like that baby is going to be chilling in the corner, not like being held all the time. And so that baby's moon is going to look different from another baby's moon, just for example. <laughs> mm. So one of the things that I have noticed with family charts, um, and I haven't looked too extensively into it because it's usually in the case of having like a regular client that, you know, that comes in, it's not like the one-on-one -on -one, like chart reading. And even so people aren't always bringing in their, their family charts. But, um, when I have looked into it, there usually is themes that show up and one, uh, for me personally, like I have moon opposite Pluto, uh, my brother and I have the same moon sign and the same Pluto sign. So we both have that moon Pluto opposition, my mom's moon in Scorpio. And so I can feel that, you know, connection. And then I read this book, the Hades moon, and it talked about how moon Pluto is deeply ancestral and it will pass on. And then I started to notice in 
my clients, especially the ones that um, have children and have shown me their children's charts, uh, that's almost how it shows up more for me than people showing me their parents' charts, um, is like that moon Pluto energy, you know, will show up again and again. So that's just one that I've like keyed into in particular, but it did kind of reveal that like there's some deeper um, thread that's being worked through the family line. And so the moon like brings in that moment of ripeness, I suppose, where like it's time to give birth, like the moon aligns with the, the whole field of the family line. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some really beautiful layers to consider too. Yeah. The, the Pluto is very compelling. We know that the energetics of Pluto are very strong. They're very powerful. Um, and yeah, so that is one that does tend to get passed on because if you have a parent who is just very emotionally and psychically magnetic, but also they're emanating, like it's really palpable, like really strong emotional field that's going to be felt by an infant, like, oh, this is how I emote. This is how I, this is how this works. And so that's one that's really strong and frequently passed on. Um, Saturn is too. Saturn is a really strong one. And another way that you can look at it too, is like what modality is the aspect in? So like, if you see a similarity between um, like your parent and your chart, you can see how how fixed is this? If it's in a fixed sign, it's like, all right, we're really in this. Like we're really processing this. Like we're really in this to figure some stuff out. And if it's cardinal, then you know it's like probably a newer one. It's like not as deeply rooted and ingrained in the in the family mythos. And then if it's mutable, you know it's probably changing. And if you see like an out of sign one too, that's a good indicator of change too. But you brought up a really great point, Sabrina, about how, you know, like, like and I know because you're an evolutionary astrologer, you really tend to focus a lot on like um, what we're here to do, like on a soul level and how our chart really reflects that, what our, what our soul purpose is. And I think that there's like a family soul too. Like, I think that like, what are we here to accomplish as a family? And, and the compassion part really comes in here as well too, because we know that the people closest to us can hurt us the most or create the most, um, like dissonance and, and and everything like that. And so understanding that there's something else at play, like something very unique um, to the human condition. And that's being enacted very often through the family dynamics. That's really interesting. Like the family soul. Yeah. And there's like one other thing that keeps coming to my mind that I want to add before I forget too, is that very often too, um, I know a lot of astrologers have had this experience when they have a child and they look at the moon because the moon is going to tell you a lot about your nurturing style. And yeah, the, the moon, as, I, as we've mentioned, can apply not just to the mother, but to all like the general kind of care given by both parents and caregivers as well. But, um, you know, some astrologers have shared this experience where they look at their child's moon and they're like, oh my God, (laughs) 
is that, is that me? What does this say about me? <laughs> exactly. And, and I think, um, another layer to it that I read somewhere way back. So I, I apologize. I can't properly cite the source, but they said, um, you know, is it's also possible that this is, this is the type of care and this is the type of parent that my child is inviting and asking me to be. So, you know, as, as we grow and as we evolve and our children teach us things, um, you know, our chart is going to evolve in its expression. And so, um, yeah, we may, we, parenthood changes us. So, <laughs> you know, the, the child's chart is asking you to show up for them in a certain way. And I think that that's one reason why children for the same parents can have different moons. Wow. That's a really interesting way to kind of frame it. Um, because I, I definitely can imagine that, um, feeling jarred by looking at your kid's chart and seeing yourself in it in a light that maybe is confronting or like, I'm not that, or I don't want to be that. And to think of it as like, what the child is desiring. Um, and it's interesting too, I find that usually when parents um, come to me with their kids chart, it's coming from such a genuinely caring place, like this vulnerable, like I want to be like, I want to take care of this child or like really honor like their uniqueness and help cultivate them. Like they're looking for the guidance in the chart. And it's kind of like an entry point into seeing like, what is this being? Who is this being? What do they need? As opposed to what's my preconceived concept or how do I want to mold them according to my own ego or something like that. So I noticed that just genuine kind of tender intention behind looking at kids chart in that way. Um, I just thought I'd throw that in because there's something sweet about it. Totally. And I think that that's something that a lot of people have questions about. Like there, I know there are some astrologers who like won't read a child's chart or they won't. I know astrologers who haven't looked at their children's chart. Um, but yeah, I think that like what you're saying is right. And that a lot of times parents who would bring us a chart, like they're really trying to understand, like you said, how to, how to show up for them better, how to understand them better. And, um, also I find that a lot of times it's like, you're kind of reading more of the parent too. <laughs> like you're kind of reading them a little bit when you read their child's chart. Um, but yeah, no, that's like a really good consideration is like, how deeply do you read into a child's chart, whether it's your client's child or whether it's your child? And I think that my my rule of thumb, like my boundary is like, I never want to tell, like you said, like I never want to tell someone who they're going to be. Like I always want to leave space for... um their free will and for their just natural, organic, playful unfolding of, of their own destiny. And so I, when I'm reading a, a parent's child's chart to them, I'm really careful about that. Yeah. It's fun. I'm just remembering, I actually met someone at a party one time who, um, it's funny because this was like, it was on new year's. 2020, you know, before everything went down. <laughs> 
but this girl came in this woman and I just was like very magnetically drawn to her and like I feel like it was mutual like there was just this kind of like laser beam or something and then later we were in like a larger room and I heard her talking about Pluto and I just like completely like and I was like wait a minute And so then we kind of like locked into this conversation about Pluto and it turned out that her mom was an astrologer and that her mom had a C-section and she actually elected the chart and like planned the chart for her daughter. Whoa. Uh, And she was joking around, like she had something like she was born at a quarter moon and she's like, mom, why'd you do that to me? Like (laughs) she didn't like the sun moon square, but her mom was like, well, you know, you're a moon in Pisces. I wanted you to be an artist. Like (laughs) she's like, honey, there's no perfect chart. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's really beautiful though. (laughs) Yeah. Can you imagine like just electing a C-section like from an astrological, like that is such a, you know, I feel like most people planning a C-section are not considering the transits. Yes. Yeah. And I know that there's been, I think um, the astrology podcast talked about this one time about how C-sections are like traditionally planned during the day. So like most of the planned C-sections are planned during the day and how that is like an interesting dynamic shift. But I've heard people um, talk about, I've actually had someone DM me last week where they were really wondering, like I had an emergency C-section. Does that matter? Like, did my child still get the right chart? And yeah, like I think that there's a process unfolding there. I think every child, um, I think that there's like bigger forces at play than, than we have within our control. It's almost like the eclipses, like during eclipse season, it feels like the hands of fate are just like a little bit more involved. And I think that that's really happening. Like when a soul is incarnating, like, I really think that there has to be a great deal of support from other realms in order to get things timed out right and to be reflected in the chart because how else how else could it work like how else could it be quote unquote random in time and also line up with your family like have that sinistry with your family like it seems too perfect and it seems like there is a divine order of some kind but to answer your question like i could not, I could not elect a, I could not elect a child's chart, even though I do think that people do it all the time. Like you said, without knowing the astrology. And I think that you have, people must be like in the flow. And then, you know, you know how it works too. Like when clients cancel and like, you just like need happen to have needed the day off, you know what I mean? Like it just kind of works out. I think. Totally. I know. I just think that like planning a C-section without astrology and without that, even as a consideration would be so much less stressful than knowing the astrology and having to choose. (laughs) I know. I think part of me would be like, you know what? You guys just pick a date. Like, Like you guys, but then I think I would feel like I should pick a date. So I don't know. This is like like some weird, like existential question. I didn't anticipate (laughs) coming up. It feels like a big task to do that. (laughs) Yeah. For astrologers, for astrologers. Um, so I want to hear more about like motherhood and just your experience of like, 
being a mother and like how that's informing your astrology practice or how astrology is informing mothering? Well, on a really basic sense, it's informing my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Like my daughter is everything. She's totally changed my life. Um, So yeah, she's shifting just everything. Like I, um, on one hand, just like to be totally real, like I can't be a workaholic anymore. And I love, I love that. I have my North node. Is that like fourth house, 10th house axis? Oh yeah. That's what I got going on. Story of my life. Yeah. So I, I really like that obsessive North node conjunct my midheaven. Like I'm obsessed. I want, I want to be creating all the time, but like I have learned that I literally cannot do that for multiple reasons. Like I can't be stressed and, and be like the best parent that I want to be. Um, and so it's actually brought in a better balance around like joy and playfulness too. Like, you know, we go get ice cream, we go to the beach and we do like, I have a reason to do those things more intentionally now. And I just absolutely love it. Um, but I guess the way that being a mother has informed my astrology practice is that it's just another rite of passage, right? So I think that as astrologers, the more um, experience we have um, with with our own lives, the more context we have for people in that kind of situation. And we tend to attract people um, based on our chart and then also based on, I think, like where we're at in our life in many cases. And so that's just been an interesting one for me is just like, now I have a little bit more understanding of, of what that's like. And I can, I guess, empathize with people in, in like, if they have a struggle with their child or if they're struggling to get pregnant even, or, you know, so like I, I've had a little bit more um, perspective, I would say. But I think also just like with the moon, like everything I've kind of been sharing about the moon, um, I've just been able to take a look at at that kind of stuff with a closer lens. And um, yeah, I mean, baby girl, she just had her first Mars opposition. So I got to see like a little bit of the tantrums coming coming out and she just learned how to say no. It's super cute. But yeah, so like the Mars transits for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And you, I think you've mentioned too, that you see her, um, like mimic you and just like, you're seeing that like in a way that's informed by your understanding of the moon. Yes. Thank you for reminding me, Sabrina. Yeah. So children, it's been interesting to observe my daughter just kind of mimic her environment and mimic me and mimic my husband. Like yesterday, there was um, some people working on the house next door and she started hammering. She started hammering on the window. And then today, like a couple of days later, she was like hammering on this little like play area. And it's crazy how just like absorbent, again, that absorbent quality of the moon to just like take in your environment and children are such quick learners. So that's the other thing too, is that it has shocked me at like, no one prepared me for how smart this kid would be and how quickly she, she learns things, how quickly she understands language and um, subtleties and communication. And 
you know, kids, they can manipulate you too. Like they can start, like they're really smart. Like they know how to get what they want. And yeah, (laughs) kids are like, they're really smart. And so, yeah, that has really just like expanded my understanding of the moon as being like a psychic sponge. A psychic sponge. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So how have you like coming back to what you were saying about, you know, being moon and Scorpio and like feeling the connection in your family and whatnot. Um, how do you feel like that? Um, I don't, I'm not sure if I would say like played out cause it's still playing out, but kind of like where you are on the wave of that, of like learning about how you're carrying that. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's interesting because I think you could understand being like a moon Pluto person. Um, maybe <laughs> like, <laughs> like I feel for, a, it took me a while to realize, but I felt like being like a very sensitive person, I was kind of like taking on a lot of the psychic debris in my family, like a lot of the unresolved stuff that people weren't necessarily communicating. Um, so that was how it showed up early on. And so understanding astrology, learning more about what it means to have a Scorpio moon, that was really validating for me and really helped me to kind of steer it a little bit differently. And I think also moving out helps like being like your own autonomous person. Um, but still to this day, like I, I do hold on to stuff. I, I hold on to, especially like a lot of the, um, family stuff and I still continue to to process through it. So it is hard having a Scorpio moon. If if you don't have one, you're kind of lucky. Um, but it's also a really potent and really powerful placement as well. Um, but I think just like having um so the moon my moon is actually in my fifth house, but I have a lot of fourth house planets as I was mentioning. And my son actually conjoins the IC. So a lot of my path um, into adulthood, especially in becoming a mother, um, I wanted to do a little bit more investigation into my family and into my origin story. And um, I ended up discovering. So I ended up discovering that my... So my dad was adopted. And I ended up doing a lot of research on his birth mother. And I ended up finding his birth father. So it's kind of a crazy story. But I was able to get their birthdays. And so this actually adds an interesting layer to family astrology is that I was able to get their birthdays. I don't have their timed charts, but I was able to look at the the charts of my father's biological parents. And I also, of course, had like the charts of my grandparents, the ones who raised my dad. And it was interesting to see how his chart really connected with all four parents, with all four parental figures and how his birth father was a Scorpio. So to tie in the Scorpio element um, and then my dad's birth mother was a Virgo and my dad was a Virgo rising. But also in my dad's adoptive family, there was a ton of Virgo, a ton of Virgo placements. And of course, me and my siblings have them too. And so when you find like a broader theme like that in your family, 
you can think, what is this sign about? Like, what story does this sign have to say? What is the mythos of, of our family? And it can help contextualize a lot of the elements. Like I used to resent that my dad didn't want me to be a hairstylist. He wanted me to go to college and to have a degree and all this earthy stuff like materialism. And he wanted me to play the safe route and the predictable route and to have all this money. And so I, and of course, like coming from his point of view, of course you want your kids to be successful. So you don't want to, so that you don't have to worry about them. But I wanted to, to do my own thing and to, to blaze my own path. And so that, of course, created a lot of contention for many years. But when understanding the Virgo mythos of, of that family, I came to understand that you know there was some immigrant history and they came here and they worked really hard and they, and they became successful. And so that story around hard work and material support um, was just like ingrained in the family mythos. Wow. That's so cool that you were able to dig that up. And I like this emphasis on family mythos too, because it's just feels like a, a way of situating oneself um, into a space of belonging um, and even feeling into, you know, if one feels a little bit distant um, or estranged from the family, like even feeling into the mythos of that, because that's also probably you know, in the charts in some way too. Um, it's interesting, yeah, to even just track the the dissonance in the chart and be able to see it from that perspective. Like one example I can think of um, is that um, I'm an Aries sun and my mom has Mercury and Mars in Libra. And when I was growing up, every time I'd have a big idea that came out of nowhere and was just an impulse, she would ask me a bunch of questions about like, well, what about this? And like, show me all these different options. And I would get so mad Aries because <laughs> I was like, I know exactly what I want to do. And I don't even care if it's not the best idea. I just want to try it and see what happens. I want to dive in head first. And she would, she'd be balancing me in, instinctively with that Mercury, Mars and Libra. And when I finally realized that it depersonalized it, like I had this story before then of like, she's challenging me. She doesn't think I can do it. She doesn't like my ideas. And then I was like, oh no, she's just doing this Libra thing. This, this Libra devil's advocate thing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's just, it's really kind of, um, I also had learned to just instead of springing new ideas on her out of nowhere to like really build context. <laughs> so when I'm starting to think about something and I want to include her in that to tell her about it, you know, before I'm just suddenly like, this is what I'm going to do. But then over time, uh, I do tell my mom about my plans, but like, I'm going to go to Bali for a month or I'm going to move. And she's now just like, cool. Like, good for you. I'm like, happy for you. You're brave. Sabrina. Like she'll just like, she'll support it. And so we've had that kind of arc, I think of this Aries Libra dynamic. Um, but it really softened just by being able to know what it was astrologically instead of just being in it as an experience. And that's such a beautiful and ideal, as you said, arc of the experience to like have that polarity and opposite with, with your parent. And then for it to just like, you know, you can both cheer each other on and still acknowledge that you just do things differently in that area. And that's really cool. And yeah, I feel like 
that's pretty common too to see in astrology, like between um, even in sinistry, like even when we're you know, romantically involved with someone like the opposite, the opposites attract. And so I think that that can be really compelling in, um, a relationship dynamic within the family too. Yeah. What do you think about, um, the, cause this is something you told me before. So I want to bring it in about the idea of a child's chart as like a permanent transit or another person's chart as a permanent transit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So thinking about this is an interesting exercise. So if you're, so for everyone listening, this will be a fun exercise for you. Um, but yeah, you want to um, think about your chart as an important transit in your parents' life and that you are like this extended and yes, permanent embodiment, you're a permanent fixture in their life and thinking about how your chart is going to continue to echo and reverberate some of the transits that they were going through at the time that you were born. So it would be fun to take a look. So like if you have Pluto synastry with your parent, it's because they were going through a Pluto transit. So your birth was somehow really transformative for them somehow. Maybe there, there was this dynamic of like control versus surrender that they had to work through and that they continued to, to do so with you. Or many people have the experience of being their parents' Saturn return. Or you could just have your natal Saturn is activating um, a certain placement in your parents' chart. So you're always going to be that Saturn. You're always, maybe when you're younger, it's that reminder that mom and dad, like you, like, or mom or dad or whoever is taking care of you, um, mom and mom, dad and dad, um, mom and grandma, whoever it is just like, Oh, like you have to, you have to work harder now. Like you need benefits so that your child can have insurance. Like, you know, it's like that very Saturn real world kind of thing. Or like, no, you can't go out on, on a Wednesday night anymore. Like you have, you have to work and you have to be, um, you know, at your best in the morning. So that could be like a very Saturn experience early on, but like, as you get older, that relationship is going to um, evolve, of course. And Saturn can, of course, be immensely supportive, as we know. Um, we know that a lot of times Saturn transits are one of those things where it's like, initially, you don't want to. But eventually, you're like, oh, I'm really grateful I did that. I'm really grateful I provided that source of support for myself. So you can see that kind of play out through the the interplay of the charts. But, you know, maybe maybe you have like a Uranus transit. Like I know I know there's been there's a woman in my family who raised her children, thought she was like good to go, pregnant at her Uranus opposition and like went through it all over again even though her kids were grown. And so, you know, then that child is that Uranus opposition. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about to think about that in that way. And in that regard, you can think about synastry in that way, about how the way that that person's chart interacts with yours and vice versa is like, is like a transit that is not going to go away in three years. (laughs) Yeah, that is really, um, it's pretty like, I'm just, I never really thought of it that way before that like, a child's chart where there's synastry that was a transit to the parent, right? Like that. Um, and then the idea that that transit 
continues to emanate, you know, just as I guess if we launch or start something that is the transit that emanates or something, but it's a person and that person as they grow is a continued emanation of that transit that was happening at birth. Super fascinating. It is. And then to add another layer to this is like, so we've talked a little bit about what happens when you have shared signs or um, even like to look at for like an elemental dominance within a, a family or a, or a fixed or cardinal or mutable dominance within the family. That's going to give you a lot of information about like the general vibe, the, the general like mythos of the family. But when thinking about synastry, like degree-based synastry, even it's really interesting to watch for shared degrees within family members, because when those get activated in a big way, by an ongoing transit, then you know that that could be something that affects the whole family. Yeah. I'm like, not in a hurry for Saturn to get into the third decan of Aquarius this next year. (laughs) Is that going to square your... It's going to just activate like a degree shared within my whole family. So I'm just like watching with curiosity and trying not to put too much doom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least Saturn, you know, can be worked with in a lot of ways, especially if you know, it's coming in advance, like for sure, for sure. And you know, yeah. And I mean, it's life too. At the end of the day, it's life and it's opportunities for families to come together and grow together too. So, um, you are teaching a course that's starting pretty soon. Yes. So speaking about it. Yeah. So speaking of Saturn transits, I'm going to be teaching a course called timing with transits, and that is going to begin very soon. So, um, if you want to jump in, there's still room. It's going to start on September 8th. Um, And yeah, this course is going to cover transits, perfections, eclipses, and we're really going to try to finesse um, your predictive skills and to really enhance your predictive toolbox. Um, And that way you can help facilitate uh, support for your your clients and guiding them to understand what time it is in your life and in your own life too. Awesome. And do you have like, um, I mean, for people that are wanting to work with you, study with you, how can yes. you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you can yeah. get more details about the course and you can, of course, book a reading with me or find out more about, um, I, I also post a weekly blog and am regularly creating content. And my website is www.catherineurban.com. That's Catherine with a C, Urban with a U. And then my social handles are Astro Catherine. And I'm just like always, I'm usually I'm I'm posting a lot. So um, if you want like regular updates and forecasts and things like that. You're also teaching about how to draw charts by hand. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I recently created a um, downloadable workshop. It's eight hours. So it's full of chart examples, but it's called Chart Calculations for the Apocalypse. I designed it to primarily support students who are aiming to pass the NCGR level one exam um, because you do have to calculate a chart by hand in order to pass that. Um, but it is it is flexible. So if you are just desiring to learn how to calculate a chart by hand, and use a different house system, it's totally translatable across house systems. And yeah, I designed it also for people who maybe want to live off the grid or just want to gain a little bit more appreciation for our history, for our, um, you know, for speaking about the roots, speaking about the roots of of our craft. That's so cool. Yeah, because I mean, up until like 40 years ago, everyone calculated every chart by hand. So yeah, I know that like older astrologers are like, yeah, I never want to do that again. But some of us younger astrologers, it's it's cool to learn. It helps you kind of like have a better grasp of the celestial mechanics and planetary speed. And it's just like cool to do, to like have a chart that you drew by hand. I definitely feel like learning some of the technical things like that can be very initiatory because you start to see patterns by getting intimate with it in that way. Um, that you wouldn't really necessarily notice otherwise. So it can definitely open up some cerebral doors with that. For sure. For people that are interested in diving into family dynamics more, like what would you suggest in terms of uh, working with you um, or just tips in general for getting deeper into that? Yeah. So I do have an offering on my website also. Um, it's a family dynamics reading. So we can talk about um, your your family. Um, I, I just have it so that we can talk about as many charts as you want, but we just won't be able to get into as much detail. So choose choose conscientiously about how we want to use our time. But yeah, so we can look broader picture with the family mythos, or we can look at like intimate relationships between a few family members. So that's a fun reading to do. And that one's available on my website. And then also... The book I mentioned at the beginning, I'll repeat it again here. It's by Aaron Sullivan and it's called The Astrology of Family Dynamics. And it's really provocative and really illuminating. And it's kind of dense in some ways. Like there's a lot of information in this book. So if you're interested to learn more, those those are two ways that you can do that. Cool. I'm super curious to learn more about it. And I'm glad that you brought this to us. And I love um, just your like Libra sun cancer rising energy with this in terms of like understanding the relational dynamics of family. Um, It just feels like such a beautiful reflection of your natal chart. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And just like a final food for thought too, is that like on this idea of ancestral healing, like I know so many people are interested in, in this um, really valuable work at this time. And looking at the charts of your family is a really powerful way to tap into that um, with both compassion, but also, also the desire to understand and contextualize. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you so much, Sabrina. 
Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll send you a resource library about creating and elevating your reality containing several hours of video about the intersections between manifestation and astrology, really exploring like the Leo and Aquarius archetypes, um, especially when it comes to that process. Your review greatly supports the livelihood of this podcast, and that is my way, uh, this resource library, of thanking you for supporting this podcast in that way. I hope that you have a magical rest of your day. Thank you.